This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, welcome to another episode of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast, where every topic of conversation is in approximately 15 minutes. So you've got a nice overall discussion uh, that's neither too short nor too long, at least in my opinion. Um, three on the Euros, one outside of the Euros, because there's a lot of news coming outside of the Euros and it feels too important really to just ignore it completely. Uh, Jordan's here again. Hello everybody, another week of the Euros, more entertaining football, more discussion to be had. Similar, and, uh, similar, and similar breakdown to, to last week as well, I think. Minus, we've actually, I, I, feel, I feel like I said, that last topic really, there's been... There's transfer news that's coming out. There's managerial vacancies that are active. There's um, oh, certainly are. I mean, you've probably seen a bit more than me of Copper America, I imagine, or I, I've not really been had the time to follow because there's been a lot, obviously, of European football on. Yeah, it's one of those really where, even though the Euros is on, it's kicking, it's fantastic and it's wonderful. Uh, I felt we needed to take about 15 minutes right at the end just to see dissect what's going on outside of it. But first, straight on to topic one. Where else to start but England? Uh, this is time-bound, of course, if we just discuss Scotland. So we'll, we'll keep it fairly brief to Scotland. We'll discuss what we expect of England, why it's not necessarily, why the players aren't necessarily lighting up the tournament like some people would have thought or whatnot. But we'll keep this topic 15 on England just before, just before we move on to the top five Euros, top five hot things from the Euros, top five not hot things from the Euros, similar to last week, but with updated views. And then lastly, last 15 will not be on uh, the Euros at all, as I say. On to England. We recorded this just before the Czech Republic game. As it happens, England are probably through to the... Well, no, the England yeah, are through. Yeah, they're, they're already they're through, through to the last 16. Um, because of this chilly third-place rule. Yeah, we'll get to that on one of the other one of the other things. It's on one of my... Uh, it's also mine, yeah. All right, well, yeah, <laughs> but uh, we'll get to that. Um, so England are through. England are through, and they... You know what? In a way, that's a good thing, because, you know... Tournament football is all about getting things done. It's not about being the sexiest team. It's not about being the easiest on the eye. It's not about entertaining everyone. In the group stage, I think pragmatism is maybe the, the best play, way to play it often, isn't it? Well, you know, I, I, you, that's a good point. I wasn't going to go with that, but everyone likes to net, net, uh, not pragmatism, but pragmatism won the World Cup in 2018. Pragmatism won the Euros in 2016. Uh, I'm not going to say pragmatism won the World Cup in 2014 because Germany were excellent in that tournament and they really Mm -hmm. did. Uh, And and of course, Spain in the previous two, Euro 2012 and and the World Cup 2010, really lit up the football field. But in recent memory, on the international stage, a pragmatic Portugal won Euro 2016, a pragmatic France won World Cup 2018. And people forget that. You know, with France, they had Kylian Mbappe, Paul Pogba, they still do, Antoine Griezmann. Um, Angelo Kante, Varane, superstars, superstars galore, and yet in that World Cup they were they won because they were organised, disciplined, dogged, and they had individuals who could produce moments of magic. That's why they won the World Cup in 2018. Um, mm-hmm. So, and similar with Portugal, they had they struggled through the groups. They got third actually in the groups in 2016. Yeah, and again, pragmatic dogged, determined, bit ugly at times, took France to extra time in the final and Eder scored with a 25-yard goal. So, again, similar story. So is pragmatism getting a hard time, do you think, maybe? A little bit? Uh, 
it's tough to say. I think there's there's more emotion involved when it's England v Scotland, and I think that that has has been depicted in the reaction from many fans. Uh, look, on paper, Eng- that England team should be beating Scotland, don't you think? Uh, well, yeah, of course. Um, but I suppose on paper, that France team should be beating Hungary. No, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and it was almost a, a blessing, wasn't it, that 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 result is kind of come at a time where just after England had done the same thing. Uh, so you can use that argument. But I think before that, I think a lot of people had reacted in a way where, oh, it's not coming home. That's it. We're out. Even though four points, as I said before, pretty much guarantees us to go through. Uh, I think the performance, particularly from some of the players, Harry Kane in particular, I think, was was quite worrying. But... Uh, Look, there's another game yet, and there's only been two so far. I think there's room for improvement, but I think we will improve. Yeah, I think, again, I thought we talked about this before the tournament started. There was an overhyping again, and really, you see players like, I suppose, when you look at Italy, you've got, you know, experienced performers in the in their peak years or, or in the or or still in, in, in their fresh years you've got with so look at Italy for example with Jorginho and Nicolo Barella and Verratti on the bench and um obviously Insigne so much uh, experience in him but also so much ability as well so much energy Immobile hasn't really hit the international stage but fantastic in in the Italian league in terms of goal numbers you look at their record over two three four years and you look and you, you see evidence of Okay, they've had some dips in Mobile in particular when he's left Serie A, but you see a consistency and you see that uh, level being reached over a set period of time. And yet with England, we've seen a lot of the emergence of some fantastic youngsters. But again, I just felt like we were treating these youngsters like they were 27, 28 in the peak of the powers. And in actual fact, they're not. I mean, Foden's been playing regularly in Man City's Premier League team for about since January. Mm-hmm. Um, Mason Mount has done really well actually in Chelsea's team he's been performing quite regularly for two seasons so that's slightly different give Mason Mount a bit of credit there as well but again Jack Grealish phenomenal footballer as well but Aston Villa uh, Aston Villa talisman of course but no Champions League experience hasn't felt the biggest stage at one of the biggest teams so there's still a, a bit of a question mark even on him even as good as a player as he is Um Raheem Sterling hasn't obviously hasn't been had the best of seasons. There's, there's a lot really of, I mean, arguments Sterling wouldn't mean everyone's team, but there's a there were a lot of players in that team who were people were sort of touted as world class, and, and for me, world class is sort of on the ver, you know top five in a position, and they're nowhere near that really. As we said before, the only world class players really in the team in the squad, probably Kyle Walker, Trent Alexander-Arnold when he was there. And Harry Kane, and Harry Kane's not playing well, and Kyle Walker hasn't didn't really start that well, didn't play the last game. So, in actual fact, you know, England's got a very good squad. Maybe they could be doing better than they are. They probably should be beating Scotland. But let's not get too carried away. You know, there's some phenomenal nations out there in the in the uh, in the European Championships, and there's a lot that look more primed to do better than England do. And not all of them, as I said, with France, Didier Deschamps isn't a, isn't a isn't a um, an intricate tactician or a mastermind in terms of creating an attacking plan, a fluid system that, that that's absolutely dominated teams. He's just got a good defensive organised setup, just like England. Except at the other end, he's got players who can do 
moments of magic. Mbappe, Griezmann, now Benzema back in the fold as well, Pogba. You know, a lot of it at this stage, I think, is down to individual class, individual top, top individual level ability. And do England have that really up against some of those teams? I think they're a bit short yet. Maybe a few years, yeah, but I don't know. I think it's a bit short yet. No, I I, can't, I I agree with you. I mean, we we made the point, didn't we, before uh, before it started about, as you say, about the world class players, and we we only have really two. And that's even uh, Kyle Walker being world class is even arguable. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think as as you say, I think that it's just we do have the quality to beat the likes of Scotland. You can maybe write that off as a derby to to an extent, and I think that Scotland have played really really well as well. Uh, people have maybe under, underestimated just how good, how well they played, uh, rather than England being that bad. I think England were defensively quite solid, uh, restricted Scotland to half chances. Really, they, they had a couple of decent chances, but nothing too too major. Jordan Pickford played really well, mm. uh, who was one of the names actually that a lot of people didn't have in their their England team really. So, so I'm glad that he's doing quite well. Mm. So yeah, I, I think that, and, and I said this last week. It, Last week I said it was only one game. Now it's only two games, and it's just maybe not enough to to cast an, an eye and judge on, on just kind of how where we are truly. I think win against the Czech Republic and, and all things will be hunky dory again afterwards. Yeah, and again we imagine that irrespective of that result, it will be into the last sixteen. Who who against? We don't know for sure yet. Could be a big team in Group F. Might not be. If England win the group, it'll probably be a team in Group F, won't it? So yeah. second, so. Uh, again, we'll have to see. But the thing is, I do think England, the way they play, probably will be better set up um, to challenge a France in a strange way. Um, that double pivot Ooh. of Wrights and Phillips um, is solid defensively. It really is. What I saw with Rice and Phillips in the game against, um, in the recent game against Scotland, was what I expected to see in the game against Croatia. Quite yeah. slow in the in the in the in the progression up the field neither knowing whether to really push up or whether to go in tandem. It was all quite disconnected from the from the front four, uh, which is what I expected against Croatia. In actual fact, against Croatia, it was more of a 4-3-3, where Phillips was like an eight and Mount was an eight. But in, but in that game against Scotland, it felt like a 4-2-3-1 static, where there was a disconnect between Mount, who didn't really get much of the ball. Phillips didn't push forward as much. Rice was sort of stuck passing sideways. Um, and it did feel a bit like the uh, handbrakes were on that team then. Um, however, against a, a team like a France or a Portugal or a Germany, that pivot makes a lot more sense because it's essentially designed a bit like Man United, really, in the bigger games. It's designed to stop, to help the back four, which will need help and even if Maguire does come back. And then when the other team's taken the initiative, you've then got an easier ball over the top for a counter-attack. Again, that would probably make sense then to put the likes of Rashford and Sterling on the field as a, as a counter-attacking outlet. Um, and also in that game against a, a, possibly a France or a Portugal or a Germany, I don't think anyone is is necessarily... Ex- well, no, actually, that's a lie. People will expect England to go through, but me personally, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think... They should be expected to go through, which means a result is a bonus. And Gareth Southgate, to be honest, can say, if they lose to one of those teams, they can say, well, you know, we're not quite there yet. And I'd probably give him that. You know, I probably would. Uh, maybe not against Germany think. because of the, the the difficulties they've had coming into this tournament. You could argue that they are there, should be there for a challenge. 
but the other two, Portugal or France, uh, if it was them in the last 16 or later on, I'd say, you know what, their their 11s, their squads are outstanding. Got some phenomenal players who can't be too begrudging to lose to one of those. Yeah, I mean, if we had the choice, I think I'd rather us play against Portugal, honestly. I think given the history with Germany, I think that I, just, I think they would completely outclass us, particularly midfield. Uh, I mean, we saw them. We'll maybe go a little bit more into in detail on that later, but mm-hmm. I think they they've really outclassed teams uh, in the midfield. And I mean, I think the Scotland midfield maybe outclassed us in the last game. And it, it kind of outlined just how difficult a job Gareth Southgate's got because I think most people, us included, were, were suggesting that Rice and Phillips was the the right midfield pairing. Obviously, maybe more in a three than a two, but we we both thought that. But Phillips should start alongside Rice, given how well they played together against Croatia. Correct? Um, I just think my only issue with it is how long he left it that way, because it was clearly not working. And similar to that, I think Harry Kane was clearly not working. Mm. I don't think he had a, he's not really covered himself in glory in either of the first few games. Mm. Not all his own fault. There's not enough players getting towards him, getting close to him. But he's maybe dropping a little bit too deep for my liking. Mm. Uh as I say, the only other criticism of Southgate in that game really was to not bring Calvert-Lewin on, I think, for me. We yeah. could have just done with, with maybe that, that person to come on and lead the line rather than Harry Kane. Uh, he opted instead for, for Marcus Rashford, who's not really a, a lone striker, mm. more of a winger. Mm. Uh, and I just think that's my only real criticism of, of the decision-making, alongside maybe not bringing on a Bellingham for, for Calvin Phillips at 45 minutes, at 60 minutes. One thing I would say is that even though I've talked England down a bit, there is a remarkable amount of options within that squad. So I, I think Gary Neville was saying on punditry, there's no one else except for Rice and Phillips. Well, that's just simply not true, is it? I mean, there's there's Bellingham, there's Henderson who's come back to fitness. Of course, you could argue Mount drops in there if you want to play. I mean, we talk about 4-3-3 being an optimum formation, you know, for, for total domination. I was thinking about this today. How many teams really do play 4-3-3? How many? I mean, well, it's, I think the top the top club teams do, don't they? Well, but City, Man City, yeah. Liverpool. Four two three one four three three. Yeah, okay, yeah. Who else? I think it's more four three three. Who else? Well, in yeah. recent years, I mean, we've seen Bayern Munich do it. We've seen Barcelona. I think Bayern Munich's been more four three three one. To be to be fair. No, I mean, but I think, in recent years, they've all had. Oh no, but I mean, but I mean now. And also, if you no. look at international stage, not too many. Not too many international. And Italy have been a prime user of it this year. But I think, particularly when I think of internationals, international teams, it's such a hard system to perfect because tactically you've got to be outstanding, I think, to do it. Because if you if you play a four three three poorly, you'll get hammered. Yeah, by a team that plays a four two three one well. But if you play a four three three brilliantly, in theory, you should be able to dominate a game and create lots of opportunities because. The two eight positions, it's so easy, I think, if you're not disciplined to have the midfield overrun by a solid four, two, three, one disciplined, disciplined formation. And I think when it comes to international teams, I know a few have clamored for England to go to maybe a four, three, three. And I know they arguably did a little bit against Croatia in patches, but to do that consistently across the board and dominate like that, I think you really need to have that. One, you need top quality players. And two, you need a heck of a lot of time on the training pitch to implement that. To get the yeah. to get the level of positioning, I think required. along alongside that, you need the right profile of player in the right position, and the fact that we do have Calvin Phillips. I mean, as you say, he played very well against Croatia, but he's maybe not that perfect profile for that position. I think that Jude Bellingham actually is that 
that perfect profile for the the maybe more defensive number eight I'll call it the the the, the half half eight I'll say uh, but he's maybe not quite there in terms of his career just yet at, at still seventeen he's just maybe not maybe the next couple of tournaments is maybe something where he can fulfil that role uh, more effectively. Well, I'll talk about a tactical thing later in one of my pieces, actually, so I won't go on to it too much. But I would say on, on a lasting note that um, in the first two games, Pickford, immense, great. Always love Pickford for England. Really? And um, I actually said in a tweet, which which did quite well, um, that uh, he's the best England goalkeeper, almost consistent or, or most dependable since Debbie Seaman, I think. Um, and it's a bit of a, cult, a shout because everyone goes, oh, da, 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 da. <laughs> but when you look back, I do honestly think he is. I can't remember Joe a series. Hall, maybe. No, but you think you can see you can imagine Joe Hart's had some poor games for England, some really poor games. And I can't think Pickford's had too many at all. I think the only mistake I remember him doing outright, and it's argued it's a Walker's mistake, was against uh, Denmark in a, in a, I think it was a, was it a, a Nations League qualifier? Might have been, uh, where he came out of his box and he, and he, the, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. yeah, and it was a bit of a miscommunication, but, um, Apart from that, I think he's been outstanding. And he he's also, I don't, I don't know if you saw it in the Scotland game, with his right foot, kicked yeah, yeah, yeah. it's one of the best passes you'll ever see. It was really, an amazing really pass, great. yeah. And also, kudos to Tyrone Mings, who, who got a lot of criticism mm-hmm. as well. I was sceptical, you were sceptical, a lot were sceptical. I thought he was in because of his left foot for the balance, of, of, of being a balance, and I think he was. But he's done nothing wrong. He's been solid, he threw a lot himself in front of blocks against Scotland. And uh, yeah, I think uh, in the Scotland game in particular, Pickford and Mings were the two best players for me. So for England, um, so England. <laughs> well, well done to both of those. Yeah, and yeah, uh, well, well, that sums up England, I think. Okay, on to the top five hot things about the Euros. So a bit different to last week, which uh, two of mine quickly became redundant last week. So I felt a bit of an idiot. So I've tried to make it so it's less affected by time. And again, it's in any order, really, because it, it, how, how do you judge one to five? It's difficult uh, because a lot of these have different elements to them. But in any order, we'll say you might have ordered them again, like last week. I, I didn't order mine, but throw us one of your top five hot things uh, from the Euros so far, or at least since last time you did it. So, well, I mean, last time we focused mainly on the teams and players, which I have <laughs> done a little bit as well this week. But I think my num- the number one thing that is kind of, stuck out to me overall has been the officiating and I think it's been really, really good so far. I mean, there's been the odd question decision, maybe maybe the red card for Wales yesterday, but generally, and I think particularly the offside uh, decision-making through VAR has been exceptional. It's been really fast. They have a, a designated VAR referee on offsides at the minute, which is potentially why it's so good and so effective. But yeah, I've been really impressed with it. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah, I haven't got that down. Probably will do at the end feels like an, an overriding point, really, I, I might make at the end of the whole thing, because I just thought of another one then, which would be a good overriding thing for the whole end, but I'll leave that till the end. Uh, of the tournament, not the podcast, I don't know which one to go. I'll go with Hungary, I think, more for the fact that it was, yeah, I, a few reasons for Hungary just generally, really. One, they probably got the result of the tournament, arguably, by holding the the world champions to a 1-1 draw. That was impressive. The collective effort was remarkable. Um, they were a bit unlucky that it was literally just one punt up from from Lloris that kind of opened them up in the end. A bit of magic from Mbappe and then Griezmann uh, simply finishing. It was just a bit unfortunate, really. They didn't deserve it, really. I mean, they should have been three or four down before the Hungary scored. But then after Hungary scored, they were great. Uh, Peter Galassi making exceptional, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but also hungry for um, the fact that they had, again, this is probably, this. if it was the political podcast, if Hungary would be on the not five for ignoring social distancing <laughs> frivolously. But again, for politics out aside, from a footballing standpoint and purely a footballing standpoint, what amazing uh, thing it was to see a full venue celebrate the goal like they did. And also comedically, the female reporter or whoever was on the touchline, absolutely terrified when the hungry hungry player goes and start and the hungry players they all go up as a as a collective and then and then sort of throw the um yeah i I can't remember which one it was can't i think it was more of a collective was it the goal scorer i think it was more of a collective all of them ran over but they all went over and and, uh she was absolutely terrified it was remarkable um yeah yeah all 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 the way through I, i i it wasn't necessarily anything in particular about hungary you know, but the atmosphere, you know, the 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 female reporter, uh, the girl from Fiola, it was, it was, I mean, it might have been, I don't think it was Fiola necessarily that, uh, as I say, I think it was more of the collective, I can't remember, but I just remember everyone going over as a crowd, she was terrified, the crowd were uh, going wild, it was brilliant. It was brilliant, it was like a good old FA Cup tie, just to be quite traditional to English. But but again, the the upset, the underdog performing, the crowd, and the comedic value. So, and you'd imagine as well that the crowd did have an effect on that result as well, don't you think? Without a doubt, yeah. I think I think it really, I think it really spurs on a team. Sixty-five thousand, yeah. Particularly after not having any fans for such a long time, to suddenly kind of go in at the deep end and have so many backing you. I think it's against the world champions, as you say. Yeah, it's really great to see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So hungry, just just generally. Yeah. But not uh, not for COVID uh, response rules. That is it. <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, yeah, smashing from a football perspective. My next one is Germany, but particularly the wing-back system and particularly Robin Gosens, because I think that it has been so effective and has been really entertaining, actually, and it's really proven just how a, a back three can be very entertaining. No, not just that, but how much more entertaining it is than a back five. And I think it's the the real it's the right way to play with a, a three back, uh, and I'm really enjoying watching it. Particularly Robin Gosens, as I say, uh, he's been tremendous, and his stock's really risen. I could see him maybe getting a big summer move. Uh, he's at Atalanta right now, which is obviously a, a club on the rise, but he could certainly maybe get a, a higher wage somewhere else. Yeah, I actually had uh, back three setups in mind uh, as, as another one, okay. um, which is similar, really. Uh, it's not just Germany, though. It's the Netherlands. Uh, it's Scotland, who were who used it really effectively, particularly against England. It's uh, Austria as well, who scored a brilliant goal with uh, Stefan Leiner scoring one of my favourite underrated goals again early on against uh, North Macedonia with a brilliant hooked volley at the back stick, making the use of his wing-back position. And of course, like you said, uh, Gosens as well, and Kimmich, Kimmich to Gosens for the um, yeah. wing back yeah. to wing back. And I, I was skeptical about Kimmich playing wing back when I saw who was in the centre of midfield in that pivot. I actually thought Kimmich might have been better suited to be the pivot, but Kimmich can play anywhere. Oh, well, within reason. He's a world class right back, he's a world class defensive midfielder, and probably a world class wing back. Um, yes, yeah. so phenomenal. Uh, but yeah, no, you've got uh, you've got Kimmich. You've got you've got some phenomenal. I, th- I think the wing backs in particular, uh, have, uh, you, you know, they they have been um, they have been 
really outstanding. I mean, they do offer a spare man in attack, don't they? They do offer a spare man in attack. And it it, 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 do, it does offer, it's really good because, I mean, even particularly with Scotland, it can offer the semblance of a of a good defensive shape if you want to sit deep. It's a back five, but if you want to attack, it's a back three, uh, where the two wing backs are essentially, as, as you say, those spare men in attack because one of them, one of them is going to be crossing it, but then the other one's the, uh, making the, uh, the spare man run into the box, creating an overload often, as we saw as really effectively uh, when Nelson Tomato's positioning was ripped apart, you know, in that, in that oh, game yeah. in particular. He was um, not having a good time. So. No, but it, but it is really good. And it's I think it's one of those, it, it's a system you can really dominate. We've seen it in the Premier League. We've seen it with, in Serie A, with Inter Milan. Um, and it, we, you know, we talk about 4-3-3 being the dominant formation teams want to use to be, you know, to dominate leagues, to dominate um, matches. But I think this is also a very, very, very effective op- opposition to that uh, in a different way. You can, it's so fluid as well. So fluid. I mean, for example, you often get fullbacks playing in the back three, like Tierney plays as a left centre-back and Robertson plays as a left wing-back. And that's unbelievable for Scotland because you've got so many opportunities for given goes and, uh, again, advance runs from Tierney, overlaps if he comes inside or, or Robertson comes inside and Tierney becomes a left-back and Robertson goes into midfield. You can be so fluid and uh, with, that, with that base. But again, it helps centre-backs who maybe aren't quite as comfortable in a back four and when things get expansive, they can get caught out because you can protect them, but you can be expansive and you can be clever. And I really do like it. And I like how it's being used throughout this tournament for the smaller teams and some of the bigger ones. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I mean, it's something that England used in the past and it may be something they, they should be using in the future. When England, um, I, I, I said this before, when Trent Alexander-Arnold was fitting in the squad, I would have been a big advocate for Reese James, right centre-back, Trent Alexander-Arnold, right wing-back, because the outrageousness mm-hmm. of that right-hand side, well, it, it would have been quite incredible. On the other hand, you could even have Shaw as the left centre-back with two centre-backs, and then Chilwell as the left wing-back, similar. I think the yeah. other side's better, but... The one, the one thing with England doing it, however, is you maybe don't get the goal threat that you get from some of the other wing-backs that we've got in this tournament. Gosens, Dumfries in particular, I think. But two of those, those two in particular, have been amazing uh, getting in at the back post, which is something you maybe don't get from Chilwell? England. Chilwell? Mm, sometimes. Quite, got a few, isn't sometimes. Okay. I don't think to the same level. No. Mm-hmm. Well, then. Your next, your next yeah. one? Yeah, I'll try it, yeah. Very good. I'll go next. I'll go next. Um, because I'm because quicker. Um, sort of, sort of similar. It's a seamless transition, really, to uh, Portugal and Germany, which was the best game of the tournament for me. Oh yeah, uh, phenomenal game, quality in abundance all throughout the squad. Ronaldo even had a, you know, a particularly good game going forward, if not tracking back. Um. But he, he even you know it was a routine assist, a goal he scored, but brilliant assist, the hooked flick over the goalkeeper's head. Uh, is it Jota who scored? Is it Jota who scored? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Jota, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, it was, and it was, but it was unbelievable flick from Ronaldo, the athleticism just to get the ball, the technique to knock it over, uh, Neuer's head. It was remarkable. It was really, really good. And uh, you know you've got um, it was yeah I, I what, not much to say really I'm glad I, I put that in just to speed it up and brilliant brilliant game of football Germany as you say just wanted to attack 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 a very good Portugal team and it's brave because Portugal wants counter attack teams they do that notoriously hit teams on the break but Germany were brilliant and they really really uh, they made the most of the chances that they got they were very intense with the press they were great yeah 
Uh, my next one, Italy, and particularly how good they were even after rotation uh, against Wales. Obviously, Wales, they lost a man uh, after after Italy scored, so I don't think it really affected the result. But I think that Italy performed to, to almost the same level they have been. They played the same way, with the same style, and were very effective. And I, I just, I've been really impressed with, with the way that, that Mancini's got them playing. Uh, maybe maybe underestimated before the tournament. And look, I mean, you'd expect I them said to win the well. games. You, you'd expect them to win the games they've won so far. But if they carry on the way they go in, uh, I mean, I think they could, could cause some trouble for some of the other teams. No loss since 2018. No goal yeah. conceded since 2020. Who said uh, yeah, that? I've said this in the past. You've got to look at the teams they've played in that period of time. But yeah, no, they've been very good in tournament so far. I've gone with um, Rob Page because you mentioned Wales. I'll go with Rob Page. What yeah. a wonderful, well wonderful job he's done. I mean, I, last week I said they were, I, I said they were in mind, not fi- not five because they were terrible in that game against Switzerland. Tactically inept, they should have lost about five one. Didn't see any hope for them. They were fantastic, fantastic in Baku. Uh, which is a long, long way away from Wales. And they only had about 500 fans and they were playing um, playing Turkey who were hapless. And I'm glad I didn't put Turkey... Well, I was going to put Turkey <laughs> in my not five last week, but I thought, you know what? I think they're going to come good. They didn't come good. Uh, they were terrible. Uh, but Wales were fantastic. Got that win. Got four points. Going through to next stage. Um, but also... Obviously, it was a much rotated uh, Italy team, but then they went down to 10 men and they still only lost 1-0. So fair play for hanging in there, uh, showing this character. And they did get outplayed for the get-hole game. But you know what? Um, what a turnaround after that abysmal, what I thought was a really... I mean, it was get out of jail when they got a point against Switzerland. No, no idea how they did it. I just thought they were done for. And they've been absolutely fantastic since then. And I credit Rob Page because he came in, obviously Ryan Giggs, serious problems off the pitch. Left his, left the whole team and the squad in a real pickle because they all thought they were going through with the, with the Welsh legend, who I'm sure they probably gained a good relationship with. Obviously, he's got his issues off the field and he had to vacate them at the last hour. Difficult for Rob Page to come in, fill that gap, fill that void. Um, and he's, he's, somehow, he's somehow found a tune out of them. And this isn't the same Wales team that, well, it's relying on the same players that did well in, 20, in, in, in Euro 2016. But that was when Bale was playing week in, week out. It was when Ramsey was playing well week in, week out. Yeah. Both have struggled to get in the teams in the club. So, amazing, Rob Page. Well done, you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll say Ramsey and Bale, both excellent as well. Really, mm. really great performances. Ramsey in particular, his, his late runs into the box are still still there. He's still got that awareness. Mm-hmm. Great player. Uh, what's my next one? Belgium, but particularly that second goal against Denmark. Yeah, that fight back and that second goal was honestly... So, so amazing. Over, ball over the top to Lukaku. That's when Lukaku's at his best, when he's running in behind, uh, controlling the ball. He, he holds it up tremendously, which is something people have criticised him for in the past. Holds it up, beats a man, lays it off to somebody else, into Hazard, into De Bruyne, first touch finish, goal from 20 yards out. Honestly, one, one of the goals of the tournament so far, yeah, including Patrick Schitt's yeah. under goal. And it was great play by somebody else in, in the whole position. I can't remember who it was. Was it Mertens? It might have been. I had Mertens on to score first today. He's not even playing. Um, so that's very frustrating for my uh, for my predictions league. Uh, got, got money on the work one. Yeah, uh, last one for me, uh, Robert Lewandowski, because last week I had him in my not five. This week I put him in my top five. Again, it was, it was in my not five because he looked like a distinct 
he, he just looked like a shadow of himself, which is obvious because he's not getting service. But again, you, you know, we expect so much more from forwards, world class forwards anyway. What can you do to affect the game? But it was phenomenal, really, really, really good uh, against uh, Spain. Um, he did affect yeah. the game not only with his goal, but he he, he he was he was looking lively, trying to create opportunities, getting on the ball a little bit more than he did. Um, previous game against Slovakia, what a header as well! What a lovely header across the goalkeeper. Um, you know, getting in past Laporte, nodding it, sort of directing it into the far corner. Uh, he could, and it's his first goal in a Europe in the European Championships ever. Robert Lewandowski. I think it's first goal actually for for Poland in an international tournament, and it, you could tell he was so happy, and and he he deserved that. He deserved that so much because it's not without endeavor, not without effort that he hasn't got it. Obviously, there's a big lack of quality in that team compared to Bayern Munich. I still think last, like I said last week, when you're the best striker in the world, you still expect something a little bit, even anything. Uh, but kudos to him, came up against a really good Spain team and. Uh, and got a very important, or could be very important, equaliser for them. Yeah, and you know what I really, what I really enjoyed was watching him absolutely bully, bully Laporte for ninety minutes. He, he had him in his pocket. He was, was very good. I, I was quite enjoying the battle between the pair of them. It's really entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I enjoyed that match. Yeah, is that your five? Have you done? Uh, well, you know what, you kind of pinched one of mine with the other three back one because I was going to say Denzel Dumfries and oh, yeah, particularly yeah. Ali McCoy's love of saying Denzel Dumfries, which was yeah. really brightening up my afternoon before. He's a, he's a, we like Ali McCoy's. I mean, there'll be one for commentators at the end, I think. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Okay, so they're not, so it was Denzel Dumfries or just back three, or just wing back, or Dumfries? Uh, Denzel Dumfries in particular, I think. Oh, very good. They're not five then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, this is a bit less football, but well, yeah, I'll, I'll let you go first. You know, you didn't, you didn't well, really have much on Dumfries there, so I'll let you go first. Put it this way, number one is one that I said last week, and I think it's going to be your number one as well, is uh, Turkey. I think a lot of people's underdogs well, I don't have uh, one to, buy, but yeah, to do quite well, but they, they've they really, really disappointed. They've been so poor, I think, throughout, just generally played so badly. They're going to get the wooden spoon because they've got the lowest goal difference as well. I know one of my friends yeah, uh, is going to win a prize because they've done so badly, uh, and oh. he backs them. So... Look, it's just been such a disappointing tournament. They've got some good players, got a, quite a good squad, and it's just been so poor from them. Yeah, well, Senor Gunesh, uh, who has come in, he he was the manager back in the early noughties that, that that did so well with them in the international tournament. So he was like seen as the prodigal son, the man to restore some some joy to a nation that had, that had lacked it for quite a while. And it, I suppose it's one of those, isn't it, where if it's worked before in the past, but then it, it, it disintegrated, don't go back. And I suppose it, you know, this is a this is a perfect example of it because again, the, I suppose that I almost thought the negativity in the organisation was working in the first game, and actually felt that if they opened up more in the games where you thought they would win, not against Italy, then they would, you know, they had the, they had some they had the ability to do it. But I did also look at it before the game. I think I was a bit brainwashed by the media here. Turkey's obviously on mine as well. But when I looked at it, I thought there is a lot of old players there, including Yilmaz, who's done fantastically for, for Lille, 35 years old. There's a lot of ageing players, a lack of pace. And I'll be honest with you, that when I first looked at it, I thought they would struggle. And then for some reason, I read about 10 articles and thought, oh yeah, they're going to do well now. It's what happens. Uh, so I should have stuck with my initial re- thinking, as I should always usually, you should always stick with your initial thinking. Um, Terrible, yeah. Um, and uh, and the, their former their former messiah hasn't had that touch. So 
yeah, they're gonna yeah, it's not always best to go back, is it? Not no, always best to they go back. have they have disappointed big time. Anyway, yeah, on to uh, I'll go Your for my second one then. Yeah, my second one. Well, again, it's not in any order really. Uh, <laughs> but I'll go with uh, I'll, I'll, what I've called as uh, uh, Wackim Lowe's, uh, Yuachim Lowe's sniff oh, no. and scratch. Um, <laughs> so oh, no. uh, it should be scratch and sniff, really, shouldn't it? Scratch and sniff, now, yeah. when Lowe was asked, Lowe was asked about this, um, he oh, was he was asked. My friend's question all over the place. You can't love it. Uh, but when he was asked about this, he said it keeps him stimulated. Now, I can understand what Lover means because during this podcast, I do it every five minutes. But uh, no, I've only messing. Every two. Yeah, it's um, a lucky, it's not a smaller vision. Every two. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's really, really funny. It I mean, a lot funny. of people find it, get quite disturbed by it. I think it's hilarious. Um, and it's just so weird. He's done it, but he's done it for years. He's done it when the world champion. He's done it after the world champion. He's done it before the world. You know, it's it's not like a superstitious thing. It's just something he likes to do. I mean, Maurizio Sarri used to smoke um, lots of cigarettes in, when he was in Serie A, and he had to have those chewy things in, when he came to. Yeah, it. he was chewing them, wasn't he? Yeah, but you know, yeah. I, 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 yeah, I think it's funny, but it's not. It shouldn't be on the hot list because it's not really hot, is it? Because he's an old, oh, old man. Not. He's an older man. He's not. He looks well for his age, you know. You, you know, he looks yeah. well. But, but yeah, probably not. Probably not something you should be do, doing in public. It's some Even character trait, that isn't it? It's, it's yeah. certainly a habit that I don't know how he's picked up. Yeah, <laughs> Where, where's yeah. that started? Probably honestly, in the changing room. Probably not a great one. Uh, not a great one. Probably all doing it. I don't know. But yeah, that's scratch <laughs> and sniff. Uh, Yogi Lo. Yeah. My next one, another another team performance, really. But Spain, I think, particularly the finishing has been really, really poor to watch. They, they, is, that's the thing is they're not they're, they are creating chances. It's just they're not putting them away. Uh, I said that I wanted Gerard Moreno to start. He did more of a winger than a striker, which is maybe not exactly what you want. Uh, although Alvaro Morata was the one who put the ball in the back of the net, so I can't really criticise him too much. Uh, but he did miss another couple of chances. I, I just think that their, their finishing generally has not been good enough, and it's why they're, they're maybe not being touted as a challenger, uh, as a contender, because I think that the chances they're creating are good enough. They've got a good enough defence, albeit they have conceded a couple of goals, but it's just the finishing, isn't it? it and I don't think that Morata Marat, is, is really ever going to be the, the guy to put in every chance, but you maybe start Moreno up front. I think that's what they need to do in the next game. Yeah, I've gone with Alvaro Morata as well. Um, right. I, think I don't know where that's come from. The middle Morata. class. Upper class. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I've gone Morata, Morata, to be fair. Um, did score. Mr. Sitter after Moreno missed the penalty. And he never just, even though it, did, it was quite a good finish as well, to be fair, but it was very instinctive. I think it was one of those, you didn't have to think about it too much. Instinctive, stuck the leg out, good finish. And there's a few strikers like that. I mean, Timo Werner's not bad on instinct. You know, there's quite a few strikers not bad on instinct where it's just divert it in, react quickly, you know, not thinking, overthinking, not not, not having to compose yourself. Um, and it's when he has to compose himself that you worry, I think. I mean, the the... The Moreno's missed penalty coming back, knocks it over the bar. Had a few other half chances in the game as well. Really could have, you know, seen seen Spain over the line in, in that game against Poland, but also again as well the game before. 
uh, against Sweden, a really, really poor finish, one on one against uh, against against Sweden. Oh yeah, and he coming at, coming in on the on his favoured side as well. Just have to roll it, it in. Strike his bread and butter that type of finish. Really, yeah. yeah, I think I think like you said, I think Spain generally are playing quite well, dominating, well, controlling the play, creating opportunities. Lack- I've been impressed with Pedri. At yeah. 18. Yeah, very, very well played. Uh, and Alba too, actually, from left back, is creating quite a lot of chances. He, he's really getting up there, and it's just they're not putting the ball in the back of the net from these chances. Well, Morata's a fairly solid link-up player. I always thought his movement's actually very, very good. It's just his, um, it's just his final finish that. Like, I mean, if he could finish a ball consistently, he'd be an outstanding striker. He really yeah. would. I mean, yeah. Because I think he's got everything else. He's got the movement. The, the physicality to hold the ball up, the little cute flicks that he that he can do, and he also has a he can score some wonderful goals, but unfortunately he, he's culpable of missing too too many opportunities. So yeah, I think he's holding them back at the moment. Really, he really is. I mean, when you look no, back as well, David Villa and Fernando Torres, and also when the uh, I think they experimented with a false nine as well uh, at some point. Fabregas, Fabregas wasn't it? So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, it's it's just it's just not working because the only way you could do it is if you got managed to find a way to get the uh, the the wide players, uh, maybe Moreno, maybe Ayazabal, uh in into more uh, inside positions so that creating opportunities through Morata's movement as opposed to getting mm-hmm. Morata the chances. So maybe they have to think about how they're creating that because he can be an effective player, just not if you want to score uh, lots of goals. <laughs> I agree. I think I think he's quite a good player. Actually, it's just he's not that top level striker. who's going to consistently put the ball in the, the ball in the goal. Mm. That's their issue. Mm. Your next one uh, wasn't that my next? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Morata. Um, okay. Uh, own goals because it's the highest goal scorer <laughs> at the tournament thus far. I think uh, at the time of recording, I think there's five. I think there's been five own goals yeah, at five. the time of recording. But we don't. But again, this might change. This probably will change. Um, remarkable, really. I'm not sure where this has come from. I mean, there was two in the Portugal-Germany um, match alone. It's just just, just rather odd. Um, no, I don't think there's been any crazy own goals. So it, it, I don't think there's been any that have got, oh, my word. Hummels was the worst, wasn't it? And, and that wasn't But it wasn't bad. awful. You know, he was making uh, an honest attempt to clear the ball. You can see what he was trying to do. I mean, there's nothing like uh, Reggion... Uh, in the in the match against Aston Villa, right just before the season finished, that ridiculous that was amazing finish or some finish or or I don't know if you remember Popovich for Popovich for Crystal Palace where he did this ridiculous backheeled uh, volley uh, own goal, and then there's been some outrageous ones on YouTube, nothing quite like that, but again just. For a tournament that's delivered quite a few amazing goals, we've seen some ridiculous. Uh, you know, no no one likes to see own goals, maybe a bit. But for it to be top goal scorer in the tournament, outrageous. Yeah, no, it's it's well, quite impressive, actually, isn't it? Yeah. It's quite impressive. But you yeah. take them. If, if it's going in for you, you take Chesney them. as well. Yeah. Poor Chesney no, absolutely. doesn't have his best luck on, on opening days of tournaments. No. Uh, well, my next one is one that we kind of talked about a little bit before, is the tournament structure. And the fact that it's almost so easy to go through. through and, and there's some teams that... It's most likely, I think, that there's going to be a team that finishes on three points, so one win or three draws, and, and we'll go through. And I just think that that's so anti-competitive, almost in the same way that the the European socialism. It, yeah, it it almost protects the bigger bigger nations and the and the more more effective teams because one win and they can get through. And I, I mean, 
the, the best example of that is my my dark horse is Ukraine, who could easily get through with a, a negative goal difference and three points. Uh, yeah, I, just, I don't like it. I think they need to change it back. It's not as exciting. It's it's an insurance policy, as I say, for, for some nations. And yeah, they need to get rid of it. I should add, I'm not anti-socialist or anti-capitalist on this. I'm purely neutral. Uh, but uh, <laughs> just a thought, depending on the audience. Um, yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I've also got the same thing. Similar, same reasons, really. Um, again, it's to maximise revenue, isn't it? Get the most games possible uh, out of it. And make sure it. that the best, the best nations get through as well. Yeah, a little bit of that. A little bit of getting as much, rinse, you know, squeezing the flannel for to get as much water out of it as possible in terms of game. I mean, it's the same. We're going to see the same with Champions League, aren't we? In a few years, where it's going to be expanded. So. It's it's more that's the way it's going. I think in uh, I think what the FIFA want to produce an even bigger World Cup, don't they? Uh, in, the, in I think it's going to be an even bigger expander World Cup. So again, it's just all about the money, really, and we shouldn't really be too surprised. But it's a shame that it's affecting our our competition a little bit. Not good. Yeah. And I, and I think it affects the kind of the, the how exciting each match is because there's less on the line for each match. You, you can lose and still go through in third place. It's just not it's not not the same. Not the same. It's not. It's not. I think. Um, yeah, no, it's not. It's quite, um, yeah. I, 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 and no, I, I suppose the only argument you could say is that if a smaller nation does doesn't, it, it requires less. So, for example, you know, when Finland won that first game, whether or not they do actually go through is another another story altogether. But they probably won't because of goal difference. But it gives them that small vein of hope. That actually, we could do it, you know, as opposed to, so it does give a bit of hope to the smaller nations, I guess. But again, I think it's not about that, really. It's about maximising revenue from tournament and getting, like you say, making sure that bigger teams have a bigger safety net. Well, my last one then will be Spain playing with two left-footed centre-backs. And above all else, it's just a pet hate of mine because I just, it's not natural. It doesn't look right. And Laporte, mm. as I mentioned before, was getting run ragged, obviously by Lewandowski, maybe the best striker in the world, but he was getting run ragged. And it 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 didn't look right when he was trying to play the ball out. He, he's not got a great right foot, Laporte. He's got a great left foot, but not the, not the best right foot. And it, it didn't look natural. And I, I always think that two right-footed players can play next to each other. Two left-footed players can't. And it's maybe because of how much they've played in the youth in, in, the, pre, in the past, because left-footed centre-backs generally will play on the left uh, throughout their careers. Yeah, as I say, it, it's just more of a pet hate than anything else, but I don't think it was working for Spain either. I'll be honest, I was trying to scrape the bus, bu- the barrel here uh, for, for five knots. I'll, I'll be honest with that. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, Ake plays as a, as a right-sided left centre-back quite a bit, doesn't he? He's played a few times for City there. Ake and Laporte, they've done okay. Um, I think it just I think right. I don't like it. Yeah, I think it, I think it's uh, I think I think like you say I think it comes down to you get a more footballers generally you produce more right footed centre backs so there's usually a less number of uh, left footed centre backs so it means that some have to train to play on the right and then some get used to play on the right uh, sorry some right footed get play on the left and then quite a lot get used yeah, to exactly. Harry Maguire being probably one of the the, the more uh, Rafa Varane at Real Madrid um, yeah. so. Yeah, I think it. So yeah, I, th- I think that's probably what it comes down to. If you're a left footer, usually you will play on the left. Um, but I don't, I don't buy into that really too much. But uh, but I can see why it might be more problematic because again, the majority of the time you wouldn't have that in a club. So obviously, when it's on the international stage, 
you probably it would probably feel a bit unnatural for them maybe in that system because they both be used to probably playing on the left of that uh, for their club. But oh well, what can you do anyway? What can you do? On to topic four, which is well, a look at things outside the Euros, really. Um, got a lot going on, especially with us not really covering it in the past couple of weeks. No, yeah, I mean today, well, today Monday, um, really, uh, the the big story was linked to Harry Kane. He hasn't had the best tournament with apparently Manchester City weighing up a one hundred million pound bid, um, with players included on top of that. Now straight away, uh, some players that were. Put into that bracket, you had Laporte, which I sort of chuckled at and thought never, because uh, it won't. I don't think that would happen because even if City wanted it to, I the player wouldn't go there. Uh, Tottenham would bite the hand if, if you said 100 million and Laporte, Tottenham would bite the hand off. Uh, I think because he's a top. Think, um, it's, it's the three players that you saw are the same three players that I saw. I think Tottenham will bite the hand off for any of the three. Yeah, you know Sterling, another one. Uh, he hasn't had the best season, but. Tottenham would take without doubt. Uh, I actually think they could possibly get Ake, and that would be a very good um, uh, player to have on board because Tottenham really do struggle for centre backs who are comfortable coming out with the ball, have a bit of pace. And I, yeah, I, I would absolutely have Ake involved in there. Sterling's a possibility, but have to increase the the money, mm. uh, the money on offer for, with Ake. I think because I don't well, think he's covered himself in that much glory. Well, if it was Ake and Jesus. I think you'd argue that the centre-back, I think Ake gets straight into Tottenham's team already. So, I mean, I think he's an upgrade on their current centre-backs and probably with Alderweireld or in a back three with another one as well. Um, but uh, as well, I suppose, if Jesus went that way, he's obviously a like-for-like like kind of, if Kane goes, obviously not as good, but you, I've always thought Jesus is quite a quality, he's a quality player who I would have liked to have seen given a full season see how many goals he'd get if he'd ever be a 20 goal a season man for City but I think he'd still get 15 16 and get some assists and work really hard so I'd you know that'd be interesting to see if that happened to me the only players on that I could see going over realistically is Jesus and maybe Ake because I don't think Laporte would go because I think he'd have a a suitor virtually anywhere else in Europe and Mm -hmm. Sterling similar I think would have a lot of suitors not quite as many as Laporte but I think he'd still have quite a number of suitors maybe abroad who would probably be Champions really League caliber players? Yeah, and Spurs aren't in the Champions League, so uh, no. that says everything you need to know, really. No, but obviously, and the, play, it, the players would need to. We, we rarely see player trade deals uh, actually come through. We see all these kind of rumors of it. Uh, I, I think it's unlikely to happen in, in that regard. Well, I mean, a while uh, not too long ago, Chelsea were linked with a hundred million pound plus player deal for Erling Haaland as well, so similar. And I actually think that had more gr- gravitas to it, really, because. They could offer theoretically players like Callum Hudson Odoi and Tammy Abraham. Tammy Abraham's mm-hmm. kind of the striker that would fill the gap, and Hudson Odoi would fill almost the Sancho gap, and you'd have 100 million on top. And you could see Abraham and Hudson Odoi working wonderfully at Borussia Dortmund. So, yeah, particularly Hudson Odoi, I mean, something like that. I, to me, even if I was Borussia Dortmund, you think, well, we could keep Haaland for another 12 months. But we get this excited Chelsea player, Hudson Odoi. We've got a goal scorer in Tammy Abraham. We get 40 million more than we've got next season for Haaland. On top of that, I'd be really tempted if that off kind of offer came in. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's likely that there's going to be, a, as I say, a swap deal for Kane, though. 
No, I think, but that one does more gravitas too, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot. Chelsea have a lot of players they can trade, though, don't they? So, and, and a lot yeah, well, that would have... almost abundance that are all out on loan every year, haven't they? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely, possibly. Um, in other news, though, of course, uh, Tottenham have been amusing. We talked about Tottenham just then; they're in an amusing situation. Uh, they've gone from uh, obviously since Mourinho's gone, Ryan Mason's come in. And since that's happened, they've tried to get Pochettino. That didn't work. They tried to get Conte. That didn't work. Uh, Fonseca, that didn't work. Uh, Gattuso, that didn't work. Uh, Ten Hag, didn't work. Um, so it, it, it's... Uh, oh, and uh, have I missed someone off? I don't think I have. I think I, I, I might have done. They've been linked with every... Nuno's the, Nuno's the latest, isn't he, to be linked? Uh, Nuno Espirito Santo also. Uh, it's, been a bit, it's, it's been a bit embarrassing, I suppose, for the club. Um, it's not been a great, yeah. It's been, yeah. It's been, it's, it's not been, it's not been great for them, shall we say? I think that's an understatement. Um, but it's not, it's not been, it's even less great, I suppose, when you consider the situation they're in. They're in, they're out of the Europa League, they're out of the Champions League, they're in the Conference League, which for a club like Tottenham, the best player, the best player is wanting out. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great time. No, of course, when you when you link with a Conte, there's an argument you can probably get Kane to stay because he will be selling yeah. him a project of one to two years, and if he doesn't win anything, he's off anyway himself. So Kane's like, oh well, fair enough. But whoever they're getting now, you just got you just get the sense that it won't be enough to keep Kane happy. Um, it won't be enough to rouse the crowd. You know, the, the Tottenham fans thought they were getting Conte. They were buzzing for the new season. All of a sudden, it all that be, darkness. It? Yeah. Uh, and they weren't happy with Fonseca, and I think he's quite a good manager. And now uh, it's, you just imagine, I have a funny feeling it will end up being someone like, I mean, because of the technical director that they brought in, uh, there is the understanding that they might try and get an Italian coach or someone from Serie A who mm-hmm. who we can work with. But again, I mean, uh, the Serie A merry-go-round kind of went into place this summer and, and there were lots of swapsies. They've tried Gattuso recently and again, it wouldn't work. It just wouldn't work on, on a level with Levy, Levy anyway. So there's not too many managers in Italy now available because they've all sort of found themselves a new home. So I guess it comes down to, um, yeah, I mean, what? Uh, where do they go now? Scott Parker, maybe? Maybe is that uh, the, I don't know. That certainly wouldn't get the fans excited, but I don't think any of the options that are available would do, would do that. Uh, it, the, the issue for Tottenham, and it's the same issue for Everton, is that there's not really too many managers about that are, are available and would jo- come to these clubs. Obviously, we've mentioned Conte, there's Zidane as well, but I don't think either of them would actually be truly interested in either club. Uh, and beyond that, the available managers are, are maybe not the, the level that will excite the fans and will... We'll, we'll kind of have that pedigree that maybe a Carlo Ancelotti had when he first joined Everton. Uh, I, I think Nuno would maybe be better for Spurs than he would be for Everton. I think he'd maybe fit in better with uh, Daniel Levy than he would with Farhad Mashiri. But look, it, it's tough to say. Graham Potter would be a good option for either, I think. Yeah, I think Potter's Potter, uh, Parker, Mace, Ryan Mason, if all goes wrong. I do, I do think that even though they've tried Serie A. I mean, they tried Conte, it didn't work. They tried Fonseca, it didn't work. Tried Gattuso, it didn't work. Again, you can't keep going there, really. I think you're probably going to have to look eventually at more, you know, you know, more in-house, I say in-house, more, you know, uh, more, 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 
sustainable. Yeah, option. name names that you you could imagine work with the structure as well. And and you're right with Potter and with 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 Parker as well. I do think Parker could get a tune out of that Tottenham squad, but it would take a lot. I don't think it'd be a, it'd be miracles. I think it'd just be get them playing decent football. Uh, and you wouldn't yeah. expect miracles. I mean, your club Everton linked with Rafa Benitez, who's now favourite, really, oh, uh, as opposed yeah. to Nuno. It amused me slightly. I mean, you know, I, I do, I do want Everton to do well. I think, I think Benitez, as as respectable a coach as he is, it's more about the links, the things he said about the club in the past, the, the club he's managed. Um, really, I think honestly, I think for me, the the biggest thing is the kind of the the lack of of proving himself more recently. If he'd won three Champions Leagues in the last five years, obviously we even even given the Liverpool connections, if if Jurgen Klopp was available, I think most Everton fans would say, yeah, okay, yeah. I can kind of get behind that. But it's the fact that he's he's gone to China, he's not done too well in China, mm. he's not done too well wherever he's gone in the last couple of years. It's just mm. it's not as inspiring as some of the other options that are may may be available. And on top of that. He, he's got these Liverpool connections. He's called Everton a small club in the past, uh, even though he's kind of re- revoked that uh, more recently. Yeah, I, I think that that would be a worse option than than most of the other names that have been linked. And it'd certainly be one that the fans would, would be annoyed by. And on top of that, I think if we were to get Rafa Benitez, if he came in and maybe lost three games on the bounce, the fans would jump on him and he'd get sacked in, if, he, if he lost three games on the bounce. And that's never a position that you want a coach to be in. Yeah, I, I, you know, my thinking. I think Nuno Espirito Santo would be a great option for Everton. I do think that club's miles away from doing anything. And I say, you know, I say that being a neutral, looking at it from the side, and there's so much that needs to be done. But one thing that Nuno Espirito Santo did really well, particularly at Wolves, was he got them playing. It quite, it was quite a pragmatic style, but it was organised, disciplined, and they had some really good times in those, particularly as he went up in that first few seasons. Last season was the only season where it sort of stagnated that was because of injuries that was because as well there, there was a lack of investment particularly in the summer and you know it catches up on you this, you know they didn't go down and you know many of the players might be sold this summer Reed Patricio linked with Roma for example so yeah um, I think he'd be, I think he'd do a really solid stable job at Everton I, I honestly don't know from my, outside looking in of course Everton wonderful club um, want to be ambitiously challenging for Europe, but I don't think they're there yet. I think even, you know... I give, agree. Give... I, no, I agree that they're not there yet, but I also don't think that Nuno would maybe take us forwards. He's stagnated a little bit with Wolves, who have a quite a good squad. And I, as you say, he's done... He's done he got to the middle league. of the Championship to, to the Europa League. Yeah, but he's stagnated in the last season, hasn't he? And yes, they were unlucky with injuries, but the underlying stats, even in the seasons where they finished seventh, the underlying stats weren't that impressive. The sprints weren't that impressive. And I, I, I said it before with the, the back three versus the back five. His system is very much a back five counter-attack rather than a back three all-out guns no, blazing. I, did, I disagree. I think Doherty played his best time at, with Nuno Espirito Santo playing as that spare man in the I think that was predominantly on the counter-attack, though, more than anything. Doherty's not fast. So I mean, what he's is, not, but he's he's a runner, isn't he? He's a willing runner. He's a willing runner. I, I think that's actually. Did, did, to be fair, the Wolves did like to, they did play counter attack, but they also dominated the ball in a lot of games. And what Doherty would offer in that situation is a physical, willing run to you know cause panic in the box. And yeah, I, I think that's a bit condescending to Nuno. No, no, look, put it this way: I'd be happier with Nuno than I would with Rafa Benitez, mm. but. 
I would rather us go for someone like a Graham Potter. I think he'd, even though he's not maybe got the track record, I just think he'd be more exciting. I'd like a two, so like I said to you before, I'd I like mean, two. Yeah, it's, it's a good fit, isn't it? It would be it, really? funny. It would be funny. It would be <laughs> Sometimes funny. maybe good. <laughs> Sometimes maybe not so good. Um, other quick stories. Chalanoglu to sign for Inter Milan, leaving leaving AC Milan a free transfer. Mm. I mean, I suppose there's argument that kind of replaces, at least in the short term, maybe even the long term, Christian Eriksen. If Christian Eriksen can't uh, regain his fitness, his, his level to can play at these levels we don't know it's a waiting game really it will get heart monitor fitted it looks like but Chalanoglu very much a number 10 of, of, of you give him the ball and he creates something uh out of nothing used to be amazing all set pieces that's waned a little bit recently but um yeah uh great on a free transfer Inter is a bit cash strapped so uh yeah just a, just a sensible sign although it, I mean it's more common isn't it in Italy for for players to join rivals um, yeah, it happens quite Sancero a lot. To the Sancero. Yeah, so I mean, not, I don't think there's really much to add to that, really, other than no, yeah, no, he's a good player, good signing, especially yeah. in a free. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Very, very good. Um, Jedi Sancho still uh, t- the terms are still far apart with Man United. Uh, sorry, the uh, the personal terms are done. The transfer fee is still still far apart with Dortmund. And, yeah, I mean that's that's a recurring story for years. Yeah, I, um, I think we'll get another month with that. Yeah, yeah. Ashley Young to Villa, return to Villa. That's a that's a solid signing for them. Um, you know, again, uh, Wendy, a uh, big money signing. You know, really good technician, creates lots of chances. Uh, Championship Player of the Year, I think last year as well. Might no, actually, that might have been Tony, but he was up there. Certainly, Norwich's Player of the Year. Um, yeah. And you know, that was a really good signing. Ashley Young as well experience to counter as well some of the youth that's in that squad uh you know i can't think and he's in his 38 appearances for a title winning into Milan side so i think that was another good solid piece of business yeah sensible bit of business i think uh they've been linked to smith row as well i don't think that'd be a good sign in there to be honest uh look he's an okay player but i don't think he's maybe someone that had pushed them on i think that for, for anywhere north of 20 million uh, that'd be a, a better deal for arsenal for me and just just as a lasting point i know i haven't really had the time I know I have seen little bits and bats. I know Brazil won four nil recently. Richarlison scored. Yeah. Have you been keeping up with Copper America? Got on a tit. Uh, not not as much as I'd like to have been, to be honest. No, been quite very busy. difficult. Uh, I, I I did see the highlights of that Brazil game. Yeah. Richarlison actually got got an assist in the 90th minute and scored in the 90th minute. So uh, yeah. a, a relatively uh, average performance. And only know Messi has put some blinding performances in for Argentina yeah. as yeah. well. As much as I, as much as I would like to see more, it's very difficult when there's a full-blown European tournament and it, it actually appears in the earlier hours. So, you know, on top of yeah. top of work and everything else, it can be quite difficult to squeeze yeah. all of. Argentina and Brazil, top of the groups, though. So, it's <laughs> pretty no, much as you expect. No surprises uh, there, then, I suppose. Yeah, Mina with an own goal last night as well, which uh, you adding to, to the own goals thing. Yeah, no, it's not <laughs> very good. No. Anyway, that rounds that up. So be sure to uh, like if you can like, uh, give a five star rating if you can. Review is good. Uh, subscribe is also good. Subscribe and review together is fantastic. Um, if you're culture. watching watching any matches and you see a tweet of ours, just reply. It's always nice to have a little bit. Yeah. Of- yeah. Discussion on it as well. I don't. I don't really tweet from the account much now. Jordan does. Yeah. Uh, or I, if Johnny tweets and retweets himself, I tr- retweet myself that. because yeah, I I am the account uh, other self. So yeah, please follow me as well. Uh, yeah, do that. Uh, it, the, the, the will be in the description. Uh, so join us next week again for a, a similar level of discussion. It'll be 
just on the verge, just maybe midway through, midway through possibly. I can't really recall, but it, it will certainly be the knockout stages mm-hmm. of the tournament. So that'll be really interesting, and we'll be sure to bring. There'll be more. I think the transfer speculation will be hotting up. It'll be interesting because I think the window window doesn't open officially, does it, till the end of the month? But it will be yeah, uh, hot. They're already going. Hopefully, have a new manager by then. And hopefully possibly. it is a Rocky Benitez. Possibly. That will be amusing if it is. Uh, <laughs> sometimes maybe good in this case. Hopefully it wouldn't be too good. But yes, thanks for listening. Stay safe uh, during crazy times and wherever you are in the world. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Hopefully very soon we are at a semblance of normality, although it's been a very strange 12 months. So I wouldn't like to tell you when we will be there. Thanks for listening.